0: It's Monday, May 14th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is The Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the gospel according to Luke, and we are joined by Dr. Rick, our VP of Engagement. And Dr. Rick will walk us through Luke chapter 19, verses 28
1: through 46. All right. Welcome again to the Defender Podcast. This is Rick Morton, and we'll be continuing our study in the book of Luke today um, in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28, going to the end of the chapter. And Luke writes, When he'd said these things, he went on ahead up, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were, were sent left and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it. Um, they said, Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near to the path of the Mount of Olives, down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, "Teacher, rebuke your disciples." He answered, "I tell you, if if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out." And then, verse forty-one, as he approached the city and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, "If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes." For the days will come. "...come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground. They will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you didn't recognize the time when God visited you. Then he went to the temple and began to throw out those who were selling. And he said, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves." Every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people were looking for a way to kill him, but they could not find a way to do it because all the people were captivated with what they heard. And so, in this passage, really familiar passage of scripture, obviously about uh, about the triumphal entry of Jesus, and as we've seen through our, our study of the Book of Luke, um, Jesus took great pains in in most of his earthly ministry to to minimize the talk that was going on about him around. He was he was not trying to be public, and so we see Jesus um, telling people to go and and to go their way, but not to not to share, not to tell, or only to tell a small circle of people. Yet the word was continuing to get out. Um, but this is the first time that we've seen Jesus take a step to, to really have a, a public recognition of himself. And, and really, um, this, is, this is about the beginning of, of Jesus' acknowledgement and his showing um, of, of the fact that he is the king, um, that he is the one who will reign, and, and for him to fulfill some, some prophecy. So in, in Zechariah chapter nine. Uh, We see a specific prophecy uh, regarding Jesus. And in verse nine, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this is a moment that is, that's very salient for the people of God. In, in Zechariah's day, um, the, the, the people are, are downtrodden. The people are estranged. The people are oppressed, and, and they're looking for a leader who will deliver them. That same looking for a leader who will deliver them continued um, in, in one way, shape, or form all the way until the day of Jesus. And so the people have this anticipation of a king, but they're looking for a king. Um, who's going to come come to deliver them politically, not to a king? Who's going to come and deliver them spiritually? And so, um, and and what we see here is something that's really familiar to us in our in our world. We um, we know that the world um, thinks of Jesus, but sometimes the word, world just thinks wrongly of Jesus. Uh, back in 2013, Time Magazine set out to identify the the 500 most significant figures in human history, uh, and it's no surprise to us that the person that they that they Determined was the most significant. Person in human history is Jesus. I mean, after all, Jesus changed the course of the Roman Empire. He defined the way we account for time. He his life defines the significant holidays that much of the the world celebrates. Followers of Jesus are are united on mission around the world. And and things like even the printing press were were ultimately um, those inventions were made because of the extending of the Word of God and the extending of the gospel. Um, and and so and so Jesus has made a profound mark on our world but one of the one of the greatest questions that people continue to ask and one of the greatest mistakes that we see around us are people that that, that perceive something about Jesus that's special but they don't recognize him as the Christ they don't recognize him as the king and they don't recognize his sacrificial work um, in Islam Jesus is is recognized as, as one of God's highest ranked and most beloved prophets in the Baha'i Faith, which has many gods, Jesus is recognized as being one of those manifestations of God. In in Sikhism, um, Sikhs believe that Jesus is a high ranked holy man or a saint. Um, and even historical Jesus scholars that that look at Jesus from from more of a liberal point of view and 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 really look at him not as being divine, still believe that he was he was a significant apocalyptic prophet or a charismatic healer or a cynic philosopher or or or. Just 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 a prophet of social change. But what we know today is that Jesus showed and demonstrated Himself to be the one who came from the Father, the one who was one with the Father, who came and died for us. We we see that in, in Psalm one ten, particularly um, in that in that Davidic Psalm, which which is a uh, a Psalm of uh, a Messianic Psalm. Um, David is particularly talking about Jesus, talking about the Messiah as as the King. And so I want to jump in really quickly and look at as as much as the people were trying to profess and and trying to to crown Jesus as a king, they were trying to crown him as the wrong kind of king. But David told us what kind of king he is. Um, And and so David writes in Psalm 110, beginning in verse one, this is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And so David in verse one is is when he says this is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. This is the declaration of Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one true God. This is the declaration of the one true God, Lord, to my Lord, to Adonai, to to the one who is the king. David's saying something that's really a radical idea about the the nature of the king here. He's saying that this king is not just an ordinary king in the line of David. He's talking about an ultimate king who's ultimate in his nature. Um, and, And and, and that, that anyone who who came after David would have seen David as their king. And so David, when David says that this is my Lord, he's he's signifying something special about Jesus, that Jesus was different. He's pointing to the future when a king would come who would be a co-ruler with Yahweh. In other words, that that he wouldn't be somehow second in, in, in charge, he wouldn't be somehow second in command, but 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 that that this idea of of him sitting down at the right hand of the father that that he is he is placed co-equal with the father well how is that possible we know it's possible because jesus told us in john 10 10 uh, or john 10 beginning in verse 24 um, the jews who were gathered around him saying how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the messiah tell us plainly I and the Father are one. The psalmist said in, in Psalm 110 that, that the king will sit at the right hand of Yahweh. Um, and, and what we know from ancient history is the one who sits at the right hand of the king co-rules with him. And so Jesus is being presented to us as the Messiah who co-rules with, the God, with God the Father because he and the Father are one. What this means is Jesus is uniquely qualified to be the conqueror who vanquishes sin because he and the Father are one. No one but God himself could do this work. No one but God himself could have given himself um, to to die in our place. Um, That's why other religions are wrong. Jesus is the God. He's not just a God. He is unique among all uh, of the world and of all of the universe and of all of time. And see, Jesus was much more of a king than the people anticipated. They wanted a political king. And, and, and today, I think people still want a political king. Um, we see this mistake made over and over and over again as the gospel is removed from social action and as churches become very, very socially aware and very socially active, but but they, but they put the, the true straight gospel of Jesus Christ to the side. And what we know is, is that our action in the world, our, our functioning politically, our righting wrongs that have been created by the sin and the brokenness in our world, that those things only have power when they're done in the name of Jesus who gave himself to save. That, that when they're only done as an extension of the gospel and point back to the saving work of Jesus and the work that he did on the cross and the work that, that, that he finished in rising from the tomb. Um, Jesus came to conquer death and hell and the curse of sin. And because he did that, we have the power to step in and to work in, um, in, in the situations and in the brokenness that sin causes. And and so what this means is that Jesus isn't just the Lord over the people. He's a different kind of king. He's the kind of king who redeems his people. What did did Jesus say in John 10 about us? He said that we're his sheep, that he knows us and we follow him, that he gives eternal life, that he protects us forever. Um, And and so there's this idea that that this ultimate king uses his power to redeem a people and to make us his own, and he and only he can do it because he is God. But Jesus is also right and so he can't sweep our sin under the rug. Um, If we go on in in that first verse of Psalm 110, it says... Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Ultimately, um, God tells us that he's going to vanquish sin and and that Jesus ultimately is going to be the judge who's going to judge sin. We see down in, in verse 5, it says, "...the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his anger. He will judge the nations heaping up corpses. He will crush leaders over the entire world. He will drink from the brook of the road by the road. Therefore, he will lift up his head." And, and in this triumphal entry to Jerusalem in, in Luke chapter nineteen, what we see is is Jesus coming as the Prince of Peace and coming very humbly on the back of a on the back of a donkey. He was coming as, as the king who was already reigning, right? Not on a war horse, but, but, but on, on a donkey, signifying peace and signifying his reign over the land. But we know that there is a day coming when Jesus will judge the nations. He will judge us for our sins. But the good news of the gospel is that there's hope because of who our king is and that he has stood in that place of judgment for us. Revelation chapter 11 reminds us of what that judgment's going to look like. The 24 elders who were seated before God on their thrones, fell face down and worshiped God. Verse 17, saying, We give you thanks, Lord God, the Almighty, who is and who was because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. The nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, to those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. And, and so Jesus is staking out his territory in, by His conquest of sin. Great, great kings don't just conquer, they rule. And the more they rule over, the greater they are. And, and so Jesus is saying that, that His territory ultimately is, is limitless. And, and, and so we see in the scope of his kingdom Alexander the Great had a great kingdom right he, he became a, a king at 20 consolidated an empire by the time he was 32 never lost a battle in 15 years had more than 70 cities named after him and spread Greek culture over more than two million square miles of his his empire but but the reign and the territory of Alexander the Great compare pales in comparison to that of Jesus. Verse 2 tells us in Psalm 110 that Jesus, that his rule is going to extend far beyond Israel. It says, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, rule over your surrounding enemies. And, and, and so Jesus, the rule of, of Jesus begins and he came from the house of Israel, but he ultimately provided salvation for the whole world. Verse 3 says, Your people will volunteer on your day of battle in holy splendor from the womb till the dawn. The dew of your youth belongs to you. David prophesied that Jesus would have a people that would be his own, that would volunteer to go on mission for him. That's what verse 3 is saying. And that, and that, they would, that we would step into the battle that he's chosen for us. Here at Lifeline, we see that part of the battle as, as battling for the hearts and lives of, of vulnerable children and vulnerable peoples around the world, but also using that as an opportunity to be able to speak the gospel into people's lives and to point to the, the, the reconciliation and redemption that happens when, when we help children out of their plight. We can point to a much greater sense that Jesus has done that for all of us um, in his death. Um, David pointed out that the true king's army would be dressed up in splendor. Right? It says that in verse three, um, and and so more than a than a military parade that a king would have, that this this would be the ultimate army dressed in ultimate splendor. And and what's happening is that the king's rule is going to birth this army, and this army is going to have life and vigor. He talks about the dew and and the youth. These are these are images of the fact that that this chosen army of God, the church, um, is is going to represent well. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus talks about that army. He says, It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Some uh, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And then Peter steps up with his famous confession and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Upon the truth of, of Jesus and who he is, he will build his church. Church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the army that he builds. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and, 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 and in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. But right in in the triumphal entry, Jesus is proclaiming that he is the Messiah. And so Jesus said, on that truth, that He is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. He's going to build an army, His church. We are His army. We are the ones dressed up in holy splendor, uh, uh, in the holy splendor, the splendor of the righteousness of Christ. We are the ones who are birthed out of the womb of the dawn. We have new birth. We are the ones who have a fresh start to serve the King, and we are the army that can go on the offense. And we have the promise that even the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Now the final thing we see in in Psalm 110 about the, the kind of king that Jesus came to be is that he came to be a priest and king. Yahweh has sw- sworn an oath. Jesus is the promise of God. God himself came to fulfill his plan to conquer sin and death. This is God's ultimate solution to the brokenness of sin and to point to his own perfection. The psalmist says it like this, The Lord has sworn an oath and he will not take it back. You are a priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek. And so Jesus is both the king who reigns, but he's also the priest who's who's come to provide a way for people to, to God and for God to people. And so Jesus is the one himself who bridged that gap. And so today, we're anticipating a day that is to come that is much greater than the tri- triumphal entry. We're anticipating a day like Revelation chapter 5, where where we find, in verse beginning in verse 6, this incredible worship moment around the throne. It says, Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne, and, and the four creatures among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And when when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures of the elders, the number was countless, thousands plus thousands of thousands, and they said in a loud voice, "Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing." I heard every creature in heaven on on earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever. And we see as we go on in, in, toward the end of, of Luke chapter 19 that that very Lamb wept over Jerusalem. He wept over the fact that Jerusalem had ignored him and that they didn't recognize him as king and that ultimately that, that they were going to find death and they were going to find separation both physically and spiritually because they didn't accept him. We find that he's a king that's, that's jealous for, for worship and jealous, um, for, for the, for the praise of people and that he went into the temple and that, that even as we have a tendency to try to make Jesus and life in Christ about us, the the cleansing of the temple points to the fact that, that Jesus reserves praise for himself. And so we have the opportunity as we live into our world, as we go about our days, as, as, as we As we walk to be able to point people to Jesus and to the coming reality of his kingdom where he will reign in power and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and where he will be seated on his throne. It'll be a world where there will be no more orphans and no more widows and there'll be no more lines that that divide people and borders, but we will be one under Christ. And until that day, beloved, our job is to share the good news of Jesus and his coming and the redemption that can be found in him with the world. And so let's go to a world that's confused about Jesus. Let's go to a world that wants to celebrate Jesus for the things that they can get but don't understand what Jesus really came to do. Let's go to that world and tell them about the life that can be found because of what our Christ has done. Thank you again for joining the Defender Podcast and our continuing study of the book of Luke. Uh, We're excited that you are continuing to take this journey with us, and we pray that you'll be back every Monday as we study the book of Luke and and understand the life of Christ and and, and what Jesus has done for us and how that informs our daily lives. The Defender Podcast um, can be found here weekly, and we hope you'll come back to hear um, the things that, um, that the Lord has privileged us to to be able to do as a ministry at Lifeline and be able to hear from some of our great guests as we talk about ways that practically we can live the gospel and tell the gospel into our world. So thank you.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Rick. And this week, we are praying for the country of Colombia, and specifically that the church will be strengthened and spread in Colombia. We're praying for the church to become more aware of the orphan crisis, and specifically praying for the following churches, Renacer, and Vida Bogota, and Tabernacle La Fie, and La Libertad. We're praying for the true gospel to spread throughout Colombia. It's a challenging culture because the church has a negative reputation, and, and many people have altered the gospel to make it Either more relevant or more beneficiary to themselves, and so pray that the true gospel would be preached and received, and and pray for an evangelical missional awareness to spread among the churches as well. Pray for peace as the country works through many hard histories with the the FARC and 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 government intervention, and and pray for the presidential elections that will occur in May, and as it's just a very touchy time, and and pray that the Lord would place the best person to be the new president of Colombia. We we pray that God would give grace vision and peace to those amidst the adoption process through Columbia. We, we have many families that are pursuing older children, host children, children with medical needs and larger sibling groups, and pray that the Lord would guide them and give them endurance. We, we pray for post-adoption families. Many families are, are home and walking through difficulties and challenges of parenting children who, who've just faced trauma, who are older as they're being adopted. Pray for the Lord just to continue to bring missional families that are flexible and understanding with the process and the complex needs of the children of Columbia. We we pray that the Lord would prepare these children as well that are being pursued by families and that their hearts would be prepared as Peace of this upcoming transition would just be theirs. We, we pray the Lord would grant us opportunities to advocate for more children and to have more opportunities to advocate for better policies to benefit these children in the long run. And, and pray for uh, this camp that we're having in Texas now, on June 9th, it will start and it will uh, be in Brenham, Texas and Houston and Waco and Austin and throughout Dallas. And just pray for the, the children that are coming. We have 10 children and 10 host homes. Pray for those host families and those host children. Pray that the children will come to know Jesus Christ as their eternal Savior, Lord and Father. And we just pray for the continued growth that we're seeing through our caregiver education in Columbia. And we're praying for the foster families that we were able to train this year and and more that we will be able to train this summer. Pray for wisdom for our team uh, as they look throughout ways to, to do trainings and to equip orphans that will not be adopted in U- in the country of Columbia. And pray for Soraya, our in-country team, and for Beth, and for Oscar, as well as for Meredith, and, and for Ferry, and for Josh. And we're just so grateful for all of them and all that they do. And, and just pray that they would be given wisdom and, and endurance. We pray for ICBF, the, the Central of authority. We ask that that you would be with them as they've had so many transitions, that the Lord would just walk through them with all the transitions that you're having, as well as the new elections. Pray for the homes, the the orphanages and the private homes, and pray for relationships to continue to grow. And and pray for us and for our team, for just some challenging cases as, as we navigate through those, but also build relationships with the government. So let's pray. Lord, we just pray for the country of Colombia. We truly pray that the gospel would be made known in Colombia, that it would be a true gospel that is that is bringing people to saving faith with Jesus Christ. We pray for the church to be boldened and to be strengthened and to be given wisdom. Lord, we pray for the children of Colombia who are waiting to be adopted. May they find families, missional Christian families who would bring them into their home and disciple them in the way that they should go. And we also pray for these children that you would prepare their hearts and their minds and their souls as they get ready to transition for adoption. Lord, thank you so much for the team that you've given us, for uh, Beth, for Meredith, for Fairy, for Josh, for Oscar, for Soraya, and we just pray that you would continue to strengthen them, embolden them, and use them for your glory amidst the children of Columbia. And Lord, we ask all these things in your precious name, the name of Jesus. Amen.